0: Ja, ja, ja. All right, turn to 1 Peter. We will be in the, fir- in the first letter of Peter, the first book of Peter, uh, this whole church season. So we will go through May going through 1 Peter. So it will be a, um, a good time, I believe. It's one of my favorite books. 1 Peter, I think, is so, so rich in what it offers us, and uh, I think it will be pretty cool. Um, let me go ahead, and um, as you're turning there, I just want to pause and pray as well. And um, I'm going to pray specifically for the event tonight that we're going to head to. But Father, I thank you for this opportunity to gather as, as your children to collectively look on Jesus in your word and through song. Um, God, I pray that you would stir in each student's heart a desire to love you more. And God, also assure them, encourage them, that you are happy and willing to do this in them if they just simply surrender to you. So God, work that in their hearts this evening. Lord, I pray for this event tonight uh, that we go to. I pray that it would be a fun, enjoyable time for all of us, that everybody would remain safe, things would go smoothly. And God, also that it would be a glimpse of the church in this city, that it would be a glimpse of other brothers and sisters in Christ that we have here And God, I pray that it would be an encouragement to us as we seek restoration and renewal uh, for you in our city. Lord, we love you and thank you. Ask your blessings on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the book of 1 Peter. It's actually a letter, and we've talked a little bit uh, in here about what letters mean. We've studied a few letters, um, but we we will be reminded time and time and again how to study letters because a lot of the New Testament— most of it, in fact, are these letters. They're um, personal correspondence between these people and groups of people. Have Has anyone in here ever written a letter? Yes? Yes? Okay, so most of you. It's a dying art form, right? But it is somewhat of an art form. Like, there's this understanding that if you wrote a letter, you took the time to actually, like, handwrite a letter. There's something... Special about that, like me, and, when Stephanie and I were dating, whenever I forgot like a gift, I would write a letter. It seems thoughtful, seems intentional, just to, and it's free. That's the best part, Kaden. It's free. Um, but no letter, lettering, uh, letter writing has this kind of intimate understanding to it or like an, an artful thoughtful understanding to it and while that's somewhat true for biblical letters Right. They often are personal One thing we have to remember is that they weren't private These were not private le- letters. They may have been personal and addressed to specific people, but they're not private What I mean by that is the writers often knew that a large group of people were going to read these things Um, In some of the letters that we see, like at the end of Colossians, Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae, and he says, hey, after you've read this letter amongst all yourselves, send it to the church at Laodicea, have them also read it. And also, you get the letter that I wrote them in Laodicea. So, key thing to understand here. Letters, while they may be letters, they were personal but not private. And that's why we look to them. That's why we look at uh, what they're writing, because while these letters were not written to us, they weren't written to us, they were written for us. So we can study these letters knowing that they were written specifically to other people or other people groups, and we can glean insights into God in the Christian life. That's pretty cool. It's a pretty interesting thing that's going on. So we're going to look at some of the opening verses of the letter. Oftentimes, this is the part that you pass over. It's like we're... Paul or Peter gives his uh, kind of personal greeting. And some of these are formal elements, but there's some rich stuff in here um, with the first two verses. So, uh, text will be on your screen, the first two verses here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So the first thing we can note from these two verses, first thing we need to see is that Peter pens his name to the letter. So Peter wrote the letter. Very basic. If you guys missed that, we've probably got some other issues. But Peter wrote the letter. So who is Peter? Peter. Who is this guy named Peter? Peter was a disciple of Jesus. Um, he was considered part of Jesus's like inner circle. Like Jesus had his twelve disciples, but he also had like his his boys, his crew. He had his three like closest guys, and they were Peter, John, and James, I think. But Peter was in this like inner circle with Jesus, so he was especially close to Jesus. Think of all the teaching. All of the wisdom and miraculous things Jesus witnessed, or, or Peter witnessed Jesus do. Jesus also witnessed these things because he did them. But Peter had this real encounter with Jesus. Peter had a real encounter with Jesus. He had conversations with Jesus. One particular point to remember, though, is that Peter was not perfect. There's this famous story in Scripture where um, Jesus is arrested, and he's being carried to the cross, and Peter, what does he do? He denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows. So Peter, this follower of Jesus, denies that he was following Jesus when things looked dark and grim. So we must remember here, Peter's not perfect. Peter's messed up. He's screwed up. He has um, done some bad things, some things that— Uh, He was not proud of but we also see the story at the end of John where Jesus restores him That although Peter rejected Jesus Jesus restores Peter forgives Peter And this is the same Peter that is writing one of the books of the New Testament. Think about that One of the people that wrote the New Testament was someone who was imperfect Actually, all of them were imperfect, right? all of them were people like you and I who had issues, who had sin issues, who messed up. But this is the important principle here, is God can use and does use imperfect people to do his work. And we see that right off the bat with Peter, a guy who is uh, almost every gospel account talks about how Peter was lousy in rejecting Jesus. That's what he was known for, but yet God uses him to make himself known through his imperfections. So that's an important principle we see right off the bat. Your past mistakes can be restored by Jesus in magnificent and marvelous ways. Some of you need to know that in here. Like your past mistakes don't define you, and they can't stop you from being used by God. God used guys like Peter who messed up big time. So just because you messed up does not mean that God cannot use you. More importantly, we see that Peter is someone who directly witnesses Jesus's perfect life, death, and resurrection. Jesus, or Peter, saw these things with his own two eyes. In the flesh, he saw Jesus die, and he's one of the first people to see Jesus resurrected. And as we continue through the story, this is what he's unfolding, is what does this real encounter with Jesus do to your life? Most of what his letter is unfolding, what that is all about. But this is what gives Peter his authority, Okay? You need to understand this. It's because, G- because Peter has had a real encounter with Jesus that he has authority in what he's writing. He was an apostle of Jesus. This is why we as the Christian community look to his writings, because he has an authoritative testimony, a witness to the things of Jesus. So in this sense, it's because, G- because Peter carries the authority of Jesus Peter carries the authority of Jesus in his writing that makes this writing authoritative in our lives. We look at this text and we subject ourselves to this letter. We say, This is the way things are. This is the way things need to be. It's an authority over us because Peter is carrying the authority of Jesus. It's a really, really important principle for us as we think about why the Bible is important and why the Bible is authoritative. So that's the first thing we see. uh, Peter, I keep saying Jesus. Peter wrote the letter. Jesus kind of wrote the letter, but that's another thing. Peter wrote the letter. Number two, the letter is addressed to elect exiles of the dispersion. Does anyone know what the dispersion is? Great. (laughs) So, um, again, these are one of those things that we might pass over when we read Um, scripture, it's like, okay, elect exiles of the dispersion. The dispersion was this scattering that happened, okay? Because of um, a lot of persecution from the Roman government, a lot of early Christians were forced out of their home, and they had to scatter to places um, that were mentioned here, like in Asia Minor. And so basically, the area he's writing to, these cities, it's like in modern-day Turkey, and it's about the size of California. That's like the square footage that he's writing to. And these people were forced from their home, um, Gentiles and Jews, converted Christians, forced from their home to be uh, in these cities that they wouldn't necessarily call their home. So that's where we start to understand elect exiles. Like, what does that phrase mean, elect exiles? First thing is they, they're called elect. So what does that mean? It means that these people were chosen. These people were Elected. They were chosen. No one in here is 18 and voted in an election yet, right? Bo, you're 18, young lady? Well, that's crazy. <laughs> I thought you were older than that. Um, so, you guys have not participated. Oh, what about student council? You guys elect anybody to student council? Do they act- you actually vote and stuff? Okay. You don't call it student council? What is it called? Student government? Okay. I ran for student council in high school. I did not get it. Yeah, it was sad. It is. It was all political. It's a popularity contest. Yeah, and I was definitely not popular. (laughs) Anyway, anyone in here on student council, student government? Luke Binkle, you're definitely like a student government type guy. You are? I didn't know that. You're the class president? Guys, I don't know if you know this, but the class president for East Lincoln High School is here. Yeah, that's (laughs) awesome. Man, dude, I didn't know that. That's cool. All right. So anyway, elect, right? They're chosen. They are selected. And so the people that Peter is writing to here are selected exiles. They were chosen. So um, what does this mean for Christians specifically? Chosen. Chosen by who? Chosen by God. The scriptures unpack to us that we were chosen by God. We were selected. We are elected by God. Skipping down to verse 2, that we see that we were chosen by God. And this is one of the fundamental ways that biblical writers describe us being part of God's family. Like we did not, we did not work our way into being in God's family. God said, I will adopt you into my family. That's one of the fundamental ways we understand our Christianity, in this terms of adoption, of election. And we'll talk more about that as we continue. But it reminds us that we're not Christians because of our abilities, our gifts, our talents, our merits. You are not a Christian, and your friends are not un-Christian or non-Christian, because you're smarter than them. That's not the reason you're a Christian, because you know something that they don't, because you are smarter and they're not. You are a Christian because God has elected you, chosen you to be in his family. He's adopted you to be born again. We'll talk more about that as we go. But when we speak of that, we understand that it's because God is sovereign. He's elected us, adopted us into his family. The second part of that phrase is exiles. What is an exile? Anyone know what an exile is? Alicia? Someone like a cast out, right? Someone who is not Not where they are a citizen of It's like they're in a land that they are not a citizen of it's like they're a stranger a wanderer a Pilgrim, so they're way resident aliens or wayfarers now in one sense Peter's probably writing this in a very literal way these people right they were cast from their home So they're actually exiles in a literal way, but also kind of in a metaphorical sense or figurative sense we're all exiles all Christians are exiles in some way. We are not at home, right? We are not citizens here in this world, in the broken world that we live in. We are resident aliens whose citizenship is of God's kingdom, and that has yet to be fully instituted, something for which we wait with patience when God makes all things new. So because of this, we f- we can find commonality in these people who were exiled from their home. We, too, are exiles. We, too, are exiles. So we establish Peter wrote the letter. We understand the basic description of whom he's writing to, but Peter gives us a further explanation. He describes their salvation right off the bat, and so he gives three characteristics of their election. Three characteristics of their election, and this is the part that we'll focus on before we wrap things up here. Three characteristics of the election. He's, he's saying, okay, I'm writing to Christians who are elect exiles, and here are three characteristics of that election. And understand, him describing these characteristics of these Christians applies to us if we're in Christ. This applies to us. So number one, we see the basis or the foundation, okay, for our election. It's that we're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. We were chosen in accordance with the foreknowledge of God. So what does that mean? It means that before you were ever conceived, before your DNA entered this universe, God knew you. And God did not simply know about you. He knew you in the sense of calling you in accordance with his covenantal love. He chose you. As a child, he chose you to be a part of his family before you were ever in existence. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about this. He chose you. He selected you. He He called you one of his own before you were ever conceived. And again, this isn't simply knowing us in terms of He knows about us. He knows every hair of our head, every thought that we have. No, he knows us in an intimate way like a father knows a child. And this is why he chose us. He chose us because he he called us before we were even born. So this is God's sovereignty and initiative in salvation. God does not wait for you to get your act together for him to call you one of his own. God does not wait to see how you turn out to call call you one of his own. I've used this analogy before it's not like when Stephanie and I have Hudson like he's born I am like okay I hope he works out Maybe he'll be my son one day No, he's my son because he's my son and I love him from the start I loved him before he even took a breath Before he even said a word before anything because he's my son And that's the way we are called Christians. We are called Christians not because of anything that we do or have done, but because God has chosen us in his love towards us. That's amazing. That's like so freeing. Right? You understand that? Like you don't have a report card that you have to live up to. God has has chosen you as a child, and you are his child. And so you can freely, freely cling to him in that. So that's the, the foundation of us being elected. Not in anything we've done, not anything we've done, not anything we will do, but because God knows us, and he, he knew us before the foundations of the world. So that's the foundation of it. Secondly, the means, or the instrument, the way it works, the means is that we are chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit. Some big words tonight. Foreknowledge, sanctification, a lot of syllables. But sanctification, what does that word mean? It means being set apart, to be made holy, to be set apart, to be made holy. So when God chooses you, he uh, calls the the Holy Spirit to work in you a change. There is a change that occurs. This is how God brings about your election, salvation, and conversion. He sanctifies you by the Holy Spirit. He makes you holy, sets you apart. God brings you out of the grave of your own sin, and he brings you into his family. So this this is the important thing to note. God does not simply call you a Christian on the outside. He doesn't say, okay, when I look at this person, when I look at this person, they are a Christian. That's not simply how God operates. God actually takes that person from the grave, raises them to life, and changes them. As a Christian, we have all been changed, and we will continue to change until we've been fully made into the image of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. So, God is doing something in you as a Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus, God is setting you apart. He's making you holy as God is holy for the purpose that we see next. Number three, this is the purpose of why He does this chosen for obedience to Jesus and cleansing. We are elected, we are saved, we are chosen for a purpose. And that purpose is not so that you get to have fun things in heaven. That purpose is not so that you can have an awesome, happy, prosperous life. That's not so, the purpose is not so that your life will be awesome and easy. The purpose that God elected you and saved you is for obedience to Jesus. God saved you to actually make you obedient to Jesus. He saved you, the Ephesians 2, it talks about, he saved you for good works so that God could make you his workmanship and create in you good works to form you into Jesus. And it also says you were chosen for cleansing. God wants to purify you. He wants to cleanse you by, through Jesus' blood. So this is the purpose. If we call ourselves Christians, this is why we have been saved. We have been saved so that we can be made obedient to Jesus. Because we all have heart problems in here. Every single one of us. We were born with a heart problem. A heart problem that is always directed towards ourselves and selfishness. We have conflict with others because we are selfish people and we're in bondage to sin. We all have that problem in this room. No one's excluded. And what God does, in previous times, he gave his law. He, he sent prophets to testify to, to how to obey God. But in, in the failures of the people to do that, he promised a new covenant and that's what we are beneficiaries, beneficiaries of, this new covenant, where God says, I'll actually take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He says, whereas previously you can't obey God, but on your own terms and your own power, he says, I'm going to put my spirit within you so that you can obey God. And that is why we have the spirit of God. That's why we've been elected. That's why we've been chosen. That's why we've been saved, so that we can obey So I've said this before, God saved you to change you to be more like Jesus for His glory. God saved you to change you to be more like Jesus for His glory. That is the program that you're a part of as a Christian. That is what we are working with. God is working in you change obedience to Jesus so that He can purify you. And all that's for His glory. So this is kind of a summary statement of what we see, right? The foreknowing work of the Father and the sanctifying action of the Spirit result in human obedience and cleansing by Christ's blood. That kind of summarizes the teaching of this passage. A lot of big words in there. But one of the things that you see, right, is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? We see right off the bat this Trinitarian God. If you um, you don't know the... The Christian God is one who is um, three persons in one. And we see all three persons involved in this. And this this great um, kind of proclamation right off the front. But even more important than this, this is what defined the people Peter was writing to. This is what defined them. This, when he summarized who they were, this is what he talked about. It was the story of God saving them, knowing them, sanctifying them, cleansing them, and equipping them for obedience that defined who they were. When, When people asked who they were, this is the story that they were a part of. This was their identity. So we must ask ourselves, we must ask ourselves, is this what defines us? Does the story of Jesus tell our story? Does the good news of Jesus give us our identity? Do we live like our identity is established in the good news of Jesus? Because I'll tell you, this is what being a Christian is all about. Being a Christian is all about finding our identity, who we are, in the good news of Jesus. When people hear our story, they hear the story of Jesus, That's what it means to be a Christian, and guys, that's what we're called to be. Not simply when we gather on Sunday nights, but every day in and out, we are called to find our identity, and other people see our identity as being rooted in the good news of Jesus. So do we live like that? That's the challenge for us, day in and day out, every week. So be encouraged Be encouraged that God has made you a part of this story, not because of anything you've done, but because of Jesus. And he's equipped you with the Spirit of God to accomplish it. So be sent out to do that. Wherever you're at, whether you're homeschooled, whether you are at a Christian school, whether you're at a public school or a charter school, wherever you're at, whatever community you're involved in, you've been called to reflect Jesus and tell that story.